Hello and welcome to Super Excited with Stefan Roost. I'm Mike, the facilitator of this podcast. In this episode, Stefan talks to Danish Chowdhury. Danish Chowdhury is a man of the world, truly global. Born in Pakistan, moved to the US when he was young. He went on to graduate from UC Berkeley and then from the London School of Economics. His career is diverse as well, including working at BlackRock and Bitcoin.com. In 2020, he paneled at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. More recently, he's co-founder and CEO of the exchange FMFW.io, which stands for Free the Money, Free the World, a spin-off from Bitcoin.com exchange. In this episode, Stefan and Danish discuss the state of the market from an insider, interest rates and crypto markets, fostering growth and innovation, and network nations. Enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. Super excited to be back. And this time back with Danish. Um, Danish Chowdhury, um, super global entrepreneur, uh, crypto, TradFi, you know, you name it, a big background uh, across the board, right? You started born in Pakistan, moved across to LA, went to Berkeley, over to London, and then, you know, LSE, so highly economic focused, you know, sort of business oriented, um, and then sort of went into big TradFi and then across into crypto, right? So super fun journey. Uh, really interesting and, and glad to have you on the show. Danish, nice to meet you again and, and good to Great. see you. Oh, thanks, Stefan. Super excited to be here. Like, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Um, no, I think you covered my background pretty well, sort of thing. It's, uh, it's been quite a wild ride from coming in from Pakistan and now, you know, kind of dealing with the things that we deal with on a daily basis in the markets. Yeah, no, and... Um, just sort of maybe yeah you've 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 maybe just sort of maybe you want to share what you're doing today and and what you're focused on i think you've got two or three projects that you're working on and and yeah would love to sort of maybe you share what you're working on and, and we'll take it from there yeah no for sure um you know so i guess those who don't know um i'm donish as stefan mentioned i'm ceo of uh of exchange called free the money free the world fmfw.io which is you know partially the name is partially stefan's brainchild as well um a little bit of history how stefan and i know each other is basically um it was part of bitcoin.com uh i think stefan was helping roger build a business expand it out and um you know one of the aspects that we looked at was launching an exchange and i was one of the first hires that stefan made to kind of come in and launch the exchange and and it's been three years since then sort of thing. Um, and we had we had quite a fun time building it out together. And obviously you've prospered, you've done a lot of things since then. So uh, been an exciting three years, uh, built the exchange. We went from, you know, zero to we've got a million and a half, two million users. We've got three, four billion dollars of volume. Um, so we're not, you know, kind of just at Binance's feet yet, but there's still a long time to go. We actually, funnily enough, we turned three about a week ago, actually. I think it was the second of September, Stefan, if you remember, we launched. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so we've been doing that. Well. And then, you know, I, over over the course of, so I got into crypto. So my background is, tradi- as you know, traditionally uh, in the TradFi space. So I was an asset manager at BlackRock. I did a lot of the M&A. So I w- I've been through the 2008 crash. So, you know, these, these crashes that happen in the market don't really kind of phase me much. You know, when you see, like, when you walk into Lehman's offices and you're doing the first buyout and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so it, it did that and then, you know, got into crypto in 2010. 
um, kind of launched, uh, you know, first peer-to-peer sort of stuff back in the day. Uh, tried to buy Bitcoin, you know, try to get drugs off the Silk Road as everybody kind of tried to do. Um, but, you know, since then, I always had like a, a personal VC in a family office. So especially when we launched the exchange, that got a lot more active. Um, I've got a fund that we write seed and pre-seed kind of checks, sometimes follow-ons, and we've been fairly active over the last two years. So we launched the exchange. Um, we grew it out. Uh, we're in most countries except for the U.S. and Japan. Um, and my VC and my personal fund keeps me busy because we try and build products, launch them, I've got an accelerator, incubator sort of thing, but also really work with founders to get them where they need to be, you know, starting from here's an idea all the way to let's get your tokenomics, let get your business model make sure you've got revenue and then launch you on an exchange sort of thing. So in the long and short, that's what kind of keeps us, keeps us busy now. Awesome. Awesome. You know, yeah. before I go into it, one of the things I always ask, um, and, you know, it's sort of people is, is just what's, what's a sort of a book or movie that you've just seen lately that really stood out and, um, and that you really, that really sort of caught your attention. Good question. Actually. Um, I just recently saw the big short again, um, yeah. funnily enough, you, say that, <laughs> which is, you know, I always, I think it's the third time, third time I've seen it. And I think it does such a, it was actually, um, a, because I was trying to explain to my fiance what happened in 2008 crash, and I think you know Michael Lewis wrote the big wrote the book, which is excellent. But I just saw it last weekend because I never realized how um, easily it explains to the normal person like what happened and what what a CDO is, what an MBS is, what how the market kind of kind of um, performs sort of thing, and what exactly happened. So I think it's it does that really beautifully, and then I kind of use that to explain to her a lot of the structures within. The crypto markets and everything and how like you know trading works and what funds work and like you know how the institutional guys are now entering into the market and all that sort of stuff so i think it was like a good good um stepping stone to for an average person to understand what happened and how markets are moving now sort of thing. Right. yeah interesting no that's I, I really enjoyed that movie and and you yeah. know the, the the contrast and the educational element in there as well right sort of yeah yeah, yeah. The yeah. components there yeah, look, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's just on that note, I think, you know, one of the things is, you know, we're talking about the big short, the market down, you know, everybody's sort of really worried, oh, the market's over, we're going into recession, you know, or, you know, OPEC just announced they're going to reduce by 100,000 barrels. I mean, I don't think that's much, but, you know, we're yeah. seeing a lot of changes going on. Um, how do you view the market? You've gone through a lot of different cycles in crypto, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and sort of what's your view? You run an exchange, right? You're seeing listings, you're seeing activity, uh, trading volume. How do you see that sort of evolving? And what's your perspective on the market? So there's, there's two different, so there's like the macro view, right? In the macro view, yeah. I think we kind of sort of live in unprecedented times in the sense like, you know, whatever I learned at LSE and Berkeley is out the window. Like this is a this isn't a time that nobody knew what was going to happen. Like you know, two trillion dollars was printed, seven trillion dollars was printed, and everybody was locked down. And you know, I mean, twenty twenty one was amazing for us as a business because everybody was glued at home, everybody had money to spend, markets went up, and now we're seeing the hangover for it, right? Like everybody made a lot of money and then everybody just lost it all. Now everybody's like, "Fuck, what do we do?" Sort of thing. Sorry for cursing. I don't know if that's a good thing. No, it's okay. Uh, we like that. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but you know, from a macro perspective, you know, we're seeing you know the energy crisis that's looming. Everybody's calling inflation. I do think the inflation we've we've been living in inflationary times for the past like five to eight years. We're like, you know, your your gas used to cost a buck and a half, two bucks a gallon seven years ago, and now it's like seven. Like you've it's already been there. It's already been there, sort of thing, right? So you already slowly slowly increasing inflation. So I think people haven't really realize that. So a lot of it's like, I think part of the macro news we will see is a lot of it's fear mongering. People are like, oh, inflation is going to destroy everybody, all that sort of stuff, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. Because um, in reality, we've already been through those times. But I think we will, we're seeing times, especially in Europe, where there is going to be an energy crisis. Like, you know, we were just talking to people who were going to get, you know, their energy bills from a thousand pounds a year to like 15,000 pounds a year sort of thing. And it, that's quite a bit. And that's because these guys haven't controlled the caps. They didn't reduce dependency on on Russian gas. They should have just like, you know, had their own. Uh, Germany shut down nuclear reactors like two years ago. And everybody's like, why are you doing that sort of thing? So macro-wise, macro I think we don't know what's going to happen. Um, everybody, everybody like, you know, hikes on to, I've never seen somebody hold so much power as Jerome Powell. Like everybody's like, oh my God, what's Jay Powell going to do sort of thing? And the whole market just like, the moment he speaks, the market goes up and down sort of thing. You know? <laughs> eight um, minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's never happened before. Like, you know, nobody knew seven trillion is going to be printed. Nobody knew that, you know, the pound and sorry, the euro and the dollar is going to reach parity again, like after, you know, 30 years or whatever. Um, that's macro. And I think, you know, as much as I wanted crypto to be a hedge against, you know, all of this stuff that's happening, it's not. It's still kind of moving in conjunction because people's. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, yeah. It's it's almost parody when it shouldn't be, but it, it affects people's spending power, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we did see from an exchange perspective, we saw volume, retail volume kind of dry out um, June and July, um, you know, when 3AC went bust and when Celsius happened, a bunch of others, all retail volume just kind of because everybody took their money off the exchange and put it in wallets and said, yeah. I don't want any centralized exposure. I don't want to put it here. I don't want to do it there. I'm just going to put it in my wallet and just sit on it sort of thing. Um, and I think we're seeing volume come back in August. So second half of August was pretty good. People, a lot more deposits than, than we thought there would be. Um, and we're seeing now projects that are actually now approaching us being like, hey, let's do listings because... June, July, people are like, listen, I need to protect my treasury. I need to make sure that I have runway and all that sort of stuff. So when Suzu and 3AC blew up, uh, when BlockFi happened, Celsius, everything just stopped, came to a halt yeah. sort of thing. Um, Jump also suffered losses, everybody. But now I think consumer confidence is coming back a little bit. So we're seeing volumes come back, but it's still not what it was before. I think oh, yeah. it'll be interesting going into the next few weeks. Uh, what what Jerome does, what the what the so given Liz Trust just got, what she's going to do about uh, the energy cap in the UK, what's going to happen in the US, like as in from California, they just like have an energy crisis right now because they're like, oh, you can't, we we're overloaded, you can't, do this. and this is right after they told people we're going to only sell electronic cars or the EV sort of thing, right? So, yeah, it's kind of like you know, macro is a shit show right now, and I think from a retail perspective, I think people have calmed down from a crypto side of things. And now the volume is slowly, slowly building up sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things there that, that we viewed, right? I mean, one is when all these governments were printing money, they were saying there's never going to be inflation, right? That we're not going to have inflation. We've got money, modern money theory, and we can we can manage yeah. this. And 
oh no, it's only going to be transitory. And then ultimately we now have inflation, right? And yeah. ultimately you saw it so far in advance when, like you just said, right? I go to the gas station and man, the gas prices have gone up. I go yeah. to the shopping yeah. market, supermarket, my shopping cart's empty, right? It's like, yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, how do you not, how do you not realize it? Because like, I always make a joke. My sister lives in New York. I'm like, you know, at first I used to step out the door in New York and I would drop 50 bucks immediately. A coffee and a croissant, yeah. 50 bucks. Now I feel like I'm dropping a hundred bucks. Like, it's just like, you know, it's, it is. I'm like, how is this possible? And now it's happening in London. I think, you know, uh, your 10 pounds barely buys you anything now. So it's like already, already happening. Everybody's like, oh my God, why are you saying it's transitory? It's like, no, it's already here. It's been here yeah. for the past two years. And so, I think, yeah. therefore, you know, and, and part of the reasons why we launched Truflation was really just to be able to say, you know, we looked at the approach that the government was taking to calculate the performance of an economy and the political yeah. system that was running that economy, right? And so yeah. one is you're biased, right? Because ultimately, I'm the government running the economy. I need to make sure I get elected. So let's make sure the numbers look good. Yeah, Number exactly. two is you looked at the system that they were using to calculate that. It was 100 years old. You know, it was built on pre-mobile, pre-computer, pre-electricity even, you know, yeah. and, and, and they still today have 477 people going to the grocery stores and calculating and manually. And <laughs> <laughs> so we no, just and felt... It's, it's, that's the whole thing, right? That, that's why true fashion makes sense because it's like... A, in the most the archaic way of of calculating the CPI basket is like still so old school. Like what's included in the basket, what's not included in the basket, or like is like uh, I think there's popcorn from movie uh, cinemas is included in the basket. I'm like, what the fuck? That doesn't even make any sense. Nobody's been to a cinema in like three years. How do you how do you put that in there, sort of thing? Um, I am. But we don't want real estate in there. So the most important thing, I need a roof over my head. Oh, we don't want to have that in inflation, right? Um, how do you not do that? Like rental rental prices are absurd right now. Like, you know, housing prices is absurd right now. And how is that not in inflation? That's why, that's what inflation makes sense. It's like, you need a new method. You need like an independent source of saying, this is what the real numbers are. And it's not what your MP is telling you or not what your senator is telling you or not. Not what the like eighty years eighty years old are, olds are telling you basically, you know. And I think from that perspective, right? I mean, if we looked at crypto, the people that really started crypto was really came out from a retail market, right? It was a retail investor, it was a retail business. Yeah. It was, I mean, yeah, very young individuals that really sort of helped scale this yeah. this industry around the world, right? It was really a global phenomenon as well. And to me, what has happened now with inflation, ultimately, who does that hit? That doesn't hit necessarily the people that have been in crypto for a long time, but it hits the wages that we call them, right? And and for lack of a better name, right? So people that are earning wages, that are working day to day, living maybe from paycheck to paycheck, right? And so now inflation is impacting them. They have now even less money to put aside into crypto assets, right? And so it makes it really difficult um, so it's interesting to hear that the volumes have really dropped way lower. Yeah, than- people have like less money to spend, right? When you're when you're looking at a ten thousand pound energy bill, you're like, "Fuck, should I put it in in crypto right now, save for the future, or do I want my immediate lights to be turned on?" Sort of thing. So it affects people in that sense. Like, you know, wage growth has not been the same proportion as inflation growth. So you know, people people's wages have kind of stayed stagnant like you know maybe you get like a five percent increase or whatever like at some point sort of thing but like 
Yeah, exactly. Per, per hour wage is not increased by the same way your inflation and your, your price of eggs has increased. And so that affects every market. And I think that's going to affect uh, even the traditional, like nobody's going to buy stocks in their in their IRAs or anymore because it's like they won't have the money to save sort of thing, right? Yeah. So everybody's so busy making sure that, you know, their their lights stay on sort of thing. So. And, and I think that that's sort of on a retail perspective, you have that whole impact, right? And then what you have is the other impact where, you know, we talked about Jerome Powell, which one phenomenon is really good is that he now goes and says how cryptocurrency is impacting his policy making, right? So yeah. if you think about it, crypto within the last sort of 12 years has really had such a significant impact in the yeah. ecosystem yeah. that Jerome Powell now has to take it as a take part it, of his yeah. equation yeah. and algorithm, right? Which is super exciting, right? Because like, you know, you've been in the industry long enough but coming from oh, we would buy and sell Bitcoin on Bitcoin Talk or on eBay to like, now it's an instrument and it's a market that's affecting national policy, which is in, yeah. in a positive way, which is really good. And I think, you know, when you say like um, how it affects retail, like one thing I'm, I have been super excited about coming from a traditional side is like how, you know, um, people have DeFi opportunities, have finance opportunities, which they can interact with directly rather than going to a broker and then doing it to somebody else. And then like 15 people in between. And then maybe like, you know, somebody front runs their order on, on the stock exchange and like the hedge fund makes their money off of like the 15 bucks that the guy's turning invest. Like, whereas now I can go to Aave or I can go to like whatever, like get my yield straight, direct, like peer to peer, that sort of thing, right? That's the exciting bit. And like, you know, I used to at BlackRock, um, people would, pension funds would come and we'd pitch pension funds and like, you know, They'd say, okay, we've got $5 billion people's pension fee, pension to invest. Okay, fine. Okay, we'll charge you 3.5% of a loading fee. Um, and then we'll charge you 3.5% management fee every year. And so by the time, and they follow an index. So by the time they actually make par, they're already, they, they're already, mess, they're already down 7%. And it takes them 10 years to make that 7%, 7% back, right? So I'm just like, this is like fucking highway robbery. Like, how does this work? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so that's why that's what I'm excited. That's why this industry still excites me. It's like it's putting control back in the person's face. Like, why should they not have the opportunities that a trader at a bond desk has in or at Morgan Stanley? Right? They should they should have the same opportunity. Like, they, with the right kind of understanding, they they're better in control of their finances. So that's the exciting piece of it. I think that's 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 why we're all you know sort of super excited in here. And and I want to come on to that point, but let me just sort of come back to. Another angle that I feel is also happening, and you mentioned it earlier, where the trading volumes have never picked up yet pre sort of, you know, during the COVID yeah. sort of time frame. Mm -hmm. And one of the theories sort of, you look at interest rate going up, what's that done? It sucked liquidity from the institutional market, right? The institutional yeah. market was FOMOing into crypto, which brought in $3 trillion, if not more, of assets into yeah. a high risk class asset form, a fund management standpoint, right? Yeah. Um, do you think partially, you know, there's a bit of a strategy at the government level where if we create inflation, we slow down retail adoption into crypto. If we take liquidity out of the market, we're slowing down the investment and the institutional entry into crypto. I mean, how do you feel? I mean, do you, you're, you're, I mean, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? I, th I think it's like, it's a, a byproduct of what they're doing. I, I don't know if it's like the direct goals or thing, but they know that once they, once they increase rates um, and when they do the tapering, it automatically slows down investment into private, 
private yeah. sector. So, yeah. you know, it, it is something, it's a three trillion, it was a three trillion dollar industry. Um, and it's obviously in their sights. So they don't have the rules to, and speaking to like every regulator out there, they don't have the rules to regulate it yet. They don't have any understanding to regulate it. So like, okay, well, <laughs> what can we do? What else can we do to try and figure it out sort of thing? Like yeah. try and yeah. stop whoever wants to put their funds in there. So yes, it's, it's definitely like a byproduct. And I think when they're trying to slow down investing and private funds coming into a certain industry, they can actually just say, yeah, you know what? We're just going to increase rates. They're going to slow it down sort of thing all in the name of trying to control it. So it's, there's definitely, there's definitely an angle there. Um, I think I would give them too much credit, uh, governments too much credit, having spoken to a few that that was a goal and strategy they could think of because okay. they have no understanding in that sense, right? They don't really, they could barely put together a digital asset sort of law book sort of thing, right? You know, I know Dubai has created one, Bahamas has has some, but like in the US, there's still, you know, Gary Gensler is trying to fight and trying to do something and I flip flopping around and CFTC or SEC or who's going to do this and that sort of stuff. So exactly, so giving, giving them the credit of like, oh, this is a strategy you had, like, I would give them too much credit. Like that's not what they think. I think it's a byproduct of just kind of overall tapering sort of thing. But yeah, I don't think governments really have grasped onto what it is and what we can do and all that sort of stuff in that sense. Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, you know, I think you know, maybe it's also they have their maxi problems, right? SEC maxis versus the CFTC maxis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right? They have, they, like, they're still they're still fighting against each other, like trying to figure out who controls a certain product. It's like, yeah. you know, why, why don't you try and figure out how um, your government is currently run by private individuals benefiting, like Nancy Pelosi, like running her, her own stock. Fucking yeah, portfolio like, sort of thing. Why don't, you, why don't you focus on that rather than like trying to shout a person that has five hundred dollars in like a fucking account sort of thing, right? So yeah. it's it's a government full of hypocrisy, and I think everybody looks to the U.S. to figure it out, and they still haven't figured it out. And I think the world needs to kind of say, okay, well, we're taking our own reins and trying to figure it out ourselves sort of thing. So. You know, one of the things you mentioned earlier, which why you're super excited is, is how this industry just sort of continuously moves on, right? And one of the examples, we've just gone through a huge contagion, right? I mean, they call it the crypto contagion where, you know, after this blow up of Luna, three arrows, Celsius, you know, Celsius, BlockFi, Voyager, yeah. you name them, right? You just go down the ranks. Um, and... You still see today, I think everybody was, there was no backstop, right? There was no government bailouts. There was no package. There was nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And everybody got hurt, right? Everybody was bleeding big time, right? Yeah. I mean, we all lost a lot of money uh, amongst yeah. ourselves and, and, and some people. But my view, at least in the industry, the momentum is still very strong, right? The positivity, okay, we, we're hard, we're hit. But like you said, Let's go make it back again, right? Let's go. How can we go make it back again? And, and that drive, where do you think that comes from? I mean, why does this crypto industry have that drive to sort of still be positive, yeah. continue to move and build? What's the genesis of that? What's your thoughts on that? I think the What's general the resilience and the ethos around the industry, right? The industry is like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's very much like, um, what the industry was built on. It was built on getting the regular person access. It was trying to take control away from the man, essentially, quote unquote, the man. Um, yeah. And just the general um, 
entrepreneurship of the average person because you're in control of your own destiny in this sense, right? You control your own funds, control your own keys. Um, a lot of the industry, and I love love working on projects, is like everything's composable, right? Like, so you build a project, somebody who built three things on top of that and like four things on top of that and everything's like entwined and all that. Like, you know, you could build like 10 different projects on top of Uniswap's matching engine, right? Like that sort of like their AI. <laughs> sort of. So it's one, like, yeah. it's, it's basically like that. It's like kind of like, you know, the various people came together in the very beginning and said, you know, uh, there should be a better means of money transfer that isn't controlled by a centralized authority. Started out with that and that grew into, okay, well, this is technology that the average person can use to take control of their own destiny in their own life sort of thing. And then people build something on top of that. So I think resilience, and it started out as, something that was very like, you know, cypherpunk ass sort of thing, which already has that ethos built in that like, you know, fuck the man, we, we're going to do what we want because every person is an independent democratic person sort of thing. And then yeah. they like DAOs built in and all this sort of stuff, which the resilience was already there. And I think it's it's really, because it, it really stands, uh, it really gives this industry character because, you know, when um, Merrill Lynch went bust, they went, to go ask Bank of America for a handout. And then like other people went bust and Lehman went bust and like, okay, well, Nomura or the government bail us out and that sort of thing because the average person is like, but it's like in our industry, the average person is a person who's also building, who's the person who's also invested is every layer of it, right? Like you're not just a trader sitting on top of a desk in Lehman trading somebody's pension fund that the government needs to back, all this sort of stuff. This industry is, you know, made by the people for the people and they're all kind of like work together in conjunction. Yeah, so that's that's. I think that's the ethos of the industry. I think that's what's going to make it persevere in the light of whatever happens next. Sort of thing. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. I like that composable argument because I mean, we saw, you know, originally when we launched Trueflation, I never thought we could launch. I mean, it could be a standalone product, right? I mean, we we just thought we'll do that aggregation for a flat coin where we've built a flat coin that's pegged to inflation. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, Balaji wrote his post and said, oh, I want a dashboard and whoever builds this, I'll give a grant to. And Sergey was in yeah. there. And so I yeah. said, well, we've already got it. So why don't we just launch it? And then so we launched mm -hmm. it and put it right away onto mainnet and announced yeah. it. And ultimately, what I hadn't seen was the fact that we supported a hackathon. We had 40 companies building, entre entrepreneurs building on top of the inflation data that we put out there. No way. That is yeah. crazy. And that's, that's that's in four months, right? And so all these entrepreneurs yeah, yeah. and developers that are sitting in their room, creative, struggling with inflation, um, yeah, yeah. you know, sort of saw that, wow, let's do something, right? And so that that sort of ability to do it, yeah. the unhindered access, um, yeah. and then ultimately I can make money because I can tokenize it in some way, right? So. Exactly. Yeah. And like, you're not, it's not a detriment to somebody and they will be successful because you made a successful product and they'll make successful products. It's like the ethos of the industry, right? It's not like, yeah. you know, try building something on top of Airbnb. Airbnb will come and sue you if you have something that's competitive. Right. Try something on something on Uber or like whatever. It doesn't work in the regular startup industry that I've invested in, but like they're closed loops. They sign you 10 NDAs before you actually kind of see a pitch deck sort of thing, right? That's yeah. stupid shit like that. Whereas our industry is like, yeah, as you said, like, you know, having... 40 companies building on top of a hack in, in a hackathon that you've put out. Like, it's just like, it's amazing. And like, yeah. maybe not all 40 will stick, but at least if 10 will stick, that already furthers the cost sort of thing. Right. So that's the, that's the difference in this industry. That's what, that's what differs um, it from a traditional startup industry or traditional finance industry or whatever it is. Sort of thing. So.
That's why it's so, exciting. Yeah, I, I really think it's, you know, yeah, I mean, that's why we called the show Super Excited. <laughs> I mean, it's the best time to be alive, right? But, yeah. you know, I think, you know, even you, I mean, look at FMFW, right? You've taken it for in three years, you've taken it to, to number one, still be around despite this contagion and everything. So congratulations, yeah. right? And Thank number two, you've taken it even further where you're getting some amazing projects listed, um, you know, you're looking at a tokenize, tokenizing some of the capabilities and add benefits on yeah. that exchange. How do you yeah. see yourselves, you know, FMFW distinguishing and where do you want to take it? Where's the vision? You know, you talk, you mentioned Binance earlier and I'm so sure you've got Coinbase on the radar somewhere. Uh, how yeah, do you yeah. sort of see FMFW going and, and where do you think exchanges will go? Um, and what do you want to do with it? FMFW. Yeah, I think like it's it's thank you. Like it's been it's been quite the journey. And I think like we uh, it took a lot to get here. Um, and initially with your help, obviously, kind of get it get it out the door, sort of thing, right? Um, and I think like it's what people don't. Yes, it's a centralized service, and people are kind of negative centralized services. But at the same time, it gives you far better. When when DeFi summer was happening, when people were paying like hundred dollars in gas fees just to place one trade of Uniswap, I'm like, you should just come over here and charge you like five bips, man. Come on, like it's so much yeah, easier. Exactly. Sort of, right? <laughs> yeah, like say, like I mean, of course, there's hacks happen. So we've got a long way to do, kind of build that trust out in the centralized service. Um, I mean, I'm proud to say we still have custody that hasn't, knock on wood, hasn't been hacked yet. Um, yeah. But you know, that's the kind of trust we need to build. Uh, but ultimately, you know, a centralized exchange is still way better than what you would do in a traditional sense of the world. Like, you know, if you've got something at interactive brokers or whatever, like they will unwind the trade and they will like, charge you custody fees and all this sort of stuff, just like having your assets on there. But like a centralized exchange in the crypto space is far better than what anybody else offers in a traditional side of things. And I think like that trust and that some, that's something that we need to build. And I think we are moving towards a model and hopefully, you know, we've got a lot of devs that are working on this. We're going to try and bridge our, cent I mean, we run about $3 billion in liquidity on a daily basis, um, wow. in volume on a daily basis. We want to bring that liquidity to DeFi space so those who want to have their own wallets can trade using our centralized liquidity. We'll bridge it in the sense that if you trade on, let's just say FMFW DEX, you're trading in yeah. centralized liquidity, which is far deeper and far better but you're controlling your own wallet and you don't have to sign on and all that sort of stuff. And obviously we'll be, we'll be somewhat KYC compliant because we still have to be. Um, but you know, you can have your own custody versus like running our own custody. So that's something that we really want to work on. Like that hybrid model that gives people, because if you look at the Uniswap volumes, they're like nuts, right? Because people prefer that. And then, you know, obviously, but it's also a very expensive model for the average person. So we want to like, you know, best of both worlds where we give them the liquidity, lower fees, but also kind of allow them to have their own custody and that sort of thing. And, you know, we've got our first, one of the products we're launching is in partnership with Nier. Um, it's like a launch pad and it's going to be like an entire ecosystem of like incubating projects on Nier um, and Aurora, which is their EVM compatible chain. Yeah, um, yeah. And have projects kind of, you know, launch from there and see how that works out because Nier's quite a, quite a sexy, like I'd say for myself actually, quite an interesting blockchain because it's very like, you know, carbon friendly and everybody's like, oh, mining is taking up the world. But Nier's got, you know, quite a really good consensus system and the team really and core are excellent. So we're launching something with them and I think we're going to partner with, you know, the likes of Moonbeam and a few others, uh, other ecosystems to kind of do something specific for 
their um, their users and kind of build projects on top of that sort of thing, which all then tie back to FMFW and you know that entire ecosystem and all that sort of stuff. So a lot a lot of work to do, but this is just scratching the surface in that sense. Yeah, so it's interesting. So you're basically, in summary, I mean, in a way, you're sort of seeing the opportunity with new block space emerging and new blockchain players incubating yeah. and providing the ability for all these entrepreneurs out there to build yeah. on top of those. And how can you foster and work with them at an earlier stage to then help yeah. them if they want to get to another level and maturity, possibly then get listed on FMFW and then get broader access to some of the broader network yeah. and, and CFI customers that want to participate in, in crypto. Exactly. That's the idea, right? It's like we want to foster growth and innovation within the system. Obviously, there's a lot of innovation already happening, but yeah. we want to partner with those with those founders and those developers to kind of say, hey, listen, I'm going to grow your layer one chain or layer two chain. I'm going to help other founders build on top of it. Um, we're going to put in some acceleration uh, engines in it. Like, you know, we'll teach you how to market. We'll teach you how to like do the right kind of PR. We'll teach you like, you know, we'll, we have devs ourselves. Package it up. You've got an idea. We'll give you the backing. We'll showcase you around our VC network, etc. And then we'll launch you and we'll kind of like go on to FMFW. And then after FMFW, you can go on to like multiple other exchanges. But that just allows this industry to grow even more. Like why go build a Web2 product when you can do the same in the Web3, web as we call it now, on the Web3 space sort of thing, right? And then there's so many resources and everybody's so approachable in the space that like, you know, even every founder has my Telegram or, or WhatsApp and they just be like, hey, Danish, let's have a chat sort of thing. So that's the cool thing about this. And I just want to foster that even more, like, you know, kind of just, yeah. just grow space and grow, grow the founders and entrepreneurs within it. And I think that's one thing, another, you know, another, another asset and, and why it's so super exciting is approachability, right? I mean, I think a lot of the founders and, and leaders in this industry are actually very approachable. They're all on Telegram, on WhatsApp. They may not want to get on a call right away, but they'll immediately respond, send me something. You know, there'll be interaction. It's not this ghost town. I've sent you an email and ends up into you know, never getting a response or you said you were going to respond and you didn't respond. They'll just tell you right up front, like, sorry, not interested. Thanks. Go, you know, and boom, you know exactly where you're at, which is a refreshing, direct approach. Right. And it's so good. Right. So like this is what that's what, another thing that I love about the industry is like, imagine I well, I did work at BlackRock and I was like, oh, can I call up Larry Fink right away and be like, hey, let's have a chat. Impossible, right? Sorry, Even though I work at a company, like, it's impossible. Can you get an answer from Jamie Dimon? No, but like here, like, you know, I can tweet at, even at CZ and CZ will respond, right? It's just yeah. like, because everybody in this space has been a founder, has been an entrepreneur, or at least has traded something. And they know where, how, what it means to come from nothing to be where, where they are supposed to be. So like, you know, I'm sure a trueflation user, whoever, if your token comes out, will be, will contact you and you'll respond to them. You'll be like, Hey, okay, yep. let's chat. Sort of thing. Even if you can't do it, sometimes I can't do it. I'll be like, yeah, here, my, here's my COO, have a chat with her sort of thing. Like, yeah. Because it's, 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 it feels fresh and it feels great to help people like that. Right? Like, I don't want the red tape around the traditional side of things. Otherwise then we're not, there weren't not any difference with it. So. Yeah. In a way, and maybe a good analogy. I don't know if you take sports as an analogy, right? In a way, we're all an athlete. At the same time, we're a coach. So, yeah. so you know, sort of, yeah. And the more yeah, experience yeah. you have, the more coaching sort of you take on, right? But because it's so dynamic and so active, you want to stay yeah. engaged, right? You don't want to walk away. 
Exactly. We're all we're all running the race, but also helping others run the race with us. Sort of thing. It's all it's all yeah. it's all the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So, which is which is very very exciting in this space. Yeah, I was just watching. I, you know, sort of. I, I was watching this new on Amazon. They have this all or nothing type show about Arsenal, the football team, right? And oh, all yeah, these okay. young young kids coming up and, and it was pretty exciting but again the coach was an ex-arsenal yeah. player right so he was an actual right. ex-player and then i looked around and then in the show they didn't go into all the other coaches that are all yeah. ex-football players as well so they can't give up the game right so for them yeah, yeah, yeah. some exactly. sort of dynamic adrenaline sort of enjoyment yeah. satisfaction with that right mm -hmm. yeah um, that's the thing in this like you know you have people who are uh, you know, the OGs that have been in the industry for far longer and made their money and they moved on, but they will still come back and help you. We still have like chat groups where I'm like, hey, you know, can you point me in direction of this person? They will happily help you sort of thing, even though they've been and done it sort of thing. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, that's, that's, that's the, the fun bit about this industry. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it constantly, because it's so fast moving and because it's so the ability to be creative, right? The moat is in the community and the moat is not in necessarily in a regulatory framework with 50,000 yeah. forms to fill out yeah. in order to participate, right? The moat is, oh, who else is in there? Who can invite me into that? How do I be a part of that? That's my interest. I want to be associated with that and different people. Yeah, that's I think the number one thing. I think like the, the lack of red tape uh, and the direct access fosters creativity and it fosters, I mean, most of the founders of projects that I've spoken to are founders that have found each other through the community, building similar products or that sort of thing, or they were like, you know, a friend of somebody that, that got put in touch with somebody else sort of thing. So that that accessibility breeds creativity. And I think that's, that's the real sexiness of the space as well. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things is um, given, you know, just sort of your background and this opportunity, right? And I think... A large portion of us, you mentioned really early on, when we sort of started connecting, right? We connected through forums, chat forums, right? Um, we are on Telegram, on Signal, you name it, all these different channels. And everybody is participating from all over the world, different cities, you name it, right? Um, mm -hmm. As a result, you know, how do you feel, you know, sort of, I, I have this concept or I buy into the concept around network nations, right? I mean... I thought Facebook had a, is the largest country in the world by population, right? Because at the time, it had 3 billion people on Facebook, or still maybe today, I don't know. And they were going to have yeah. a currency. Then ultimately, they have a whole economy, and they can have be on their own. And I think yeah. that ultimately it's centralized. In a decentralized world, Bitcoin is its own nation, right? Ethereum has its own community and own nation. How do you yeah. see this network nation evolving? Also, given your background and your network around the world, right? Yeah, I think like the network nation, it, there's going to be, because uh, isn't Balaji's thing network? He, uh, yeah, he just wrote a book on that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I have to read that. It's on my, it's on my reading list. But um, I think it's, it's a future that we're going to head towards anyway, especially yeah. with um, uh, the whole nomadic nature of the world that is now. Right. So you'll have a network nation, which will go like multiple network nations or multiple layers, um, you know, going from the physical side of things to like, OK, so there's Ethereum and Bitcoin. But I think there's going to be an interlap between inter like overlap between those nations. And there already is. 
you know, yeah. one, one, one person from Ethereum helps out the person from Bitcoin, which will help out somebody from wherever else sort of thing. And then I think you will have the most more societal uh, network nation, which will be more like a DAO based, but then again, no physical presence will be needed sort of thing. So I think you, you will have a future where boundaries will not exist. They already don't exist, but I think in like the more formal sense of the word, I don't think um, traditional boundaries will exist and people will kind of completely forgo those because, and what, what I, I actually do realize now is like, and I think with Safai, when you, knowing from your background to you're used to remote working, you were used to, used to traveling and everything. But even now, people are still getting used to the idea of being a nomad, of being uh, working from home and all that sort of stuff, working from wherever they want. People are still getting used to it, right? So we're still in the early stages of it. Um, so I think it's going to grow and expand a lot more, um, starting from the nomadic nature of things to like, you know, network states of different applications. You know, you'll have application layer uh, networks, then you'll have like uh, overall um uh, compute layer networks like Ethereum, for example, or Bitcoin, for example, and then overall societal network layers, and they'll all kind of connect together sort of thing, but in a way that, you know, your traditional boundaries don't don't really exist or that mindset will not exist in the near future sort of thing, if that kind of answers your question a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, that, 100%, right? I mean, I think also what, one of the points Balaji makes is, is that, you look at the um, size of economies and their network, you know, the currency of that specific network, right? Uh, yeah. You look at Switzerland, what, 6 million people? They have the Swiss franc. You look at Singapore, I don't know what the pop, it's like 2 million, 3 million population. They have the yeah, Singaporean yeah. dollar and they have thrived yeah. around this. So you do not need to be a mega, you know, mega nation in order to really make a big make impact, a difference, right? Yeah. And so, exactly. Yeah, so it, it'll be like that. It's like, you know, you'll have, um, you don't need hundreds of millions of people. You don't need billions of people. You just need like enough, enough value created within you and enough value that you can exude externally that you will become, you know, a standalone, whatever network state you want to call it sort of thing. You don't need to be, you know, you don't need uh, a large stage that the U.S. Uh, demands sort of thing or China demands or along those lines sort of thing. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I find really interesting around that is the ability to then also take the learnings from existing systems um, and, and streamline them into a framework for a Web3 world, a network nation that's decentralized, maintaining governance as much as needed on-chain, whilst you referenced DAOs earlier, right? So where is DAO going to evolve to? And how is that going to be a governance structure that helps stipulate and direct the, you know, on-chain, you know, consensus mechanisms, right? For yeah. that governance. Um, yeah, I think it's like around the corner. I think like, you know, DAOs are a concept that at the at the very heart of it is pure democracy, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's yeah. various various ways of saying like, you know, uh, in a in a financial DAO, if you have more ETH, you have more votes. But in all reality, if you're a member of a DAO, one vote, one person, sort of thing, that's that's how it should be. Um, I think they we've already seen them exist in the crypto space. Um, I think there have been some very successful uh, implementations of DAOs already, like the Ethereum fork when that happened. Uh, a lot of smaller projects have had. Um, DAO votes that really materially impact uh, impact the project themselves, and they like you know go <laughs> like that sort of thing. Yeah, a couple um, of those, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I think it's only a matter of time that DAOs, and some, and I think over 21 and earlier this year, we did see DAOs come in to, in the real world. So you had DAOs like, yeah, okay, let's create the constitution DAO. You saw the constitution DAO, you put in money yeah. to buy and own the constitution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was watching, I was watching the auction live. It was, it was kind of exciting. Um, and then, you know, people have come DAOs to like buy a boat together or whatever. And I think there's going to be a further implementation of it sort of thing um, where we will see um, societies built around DAOs in a on-chain slash off-chain way because I think when you when you put in technology in society in the way a DAO can, I think it will be a much better physical democratic process uh, then right now we see like one vote, one person, but like nobody, nobody's incentivized to go. Like you don't even know if the counting's being done properly. You don't know like, oh, you have to still do it on a pen and paper and stuff like that. So I think like, you know, technology and DAO-aided stuff, uh, technology on-chain-aided stuff will make, you know, regular society and the democratic process a lot better. And I think we'll see a lot of more iterations of fit uh, in the next few years sort of thing. Yeah, I think there are a lot of learnings. I mean, still super young. Um, yeah. how to optimize this. Um, there are a lot of learnings in terms of speed of decision-making in some cases, um, who yeah. can decide, uh, and those are all being learned and, and, and defined based on experience, right? Um, so I think it's exciting times that we have in front of us, right? I mean, yeah, I think like it's, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be an experiment, right? Like as in all, everything's an experiment until it sticks itself and it'll continue evolving. So like, you know, we had, autocratic nations we had dictators we've had democracy yeah, exactly. democracy we've had hybrid of all of that and i think like you know it will continue to evolve but i think it's uh it's the next um i don't i don't say like everything should be on chain and life should be on chain but i think there is a hybrid model that people when they see an immediate return and i think right now people are disincentivized disincentivized from partaking in government because they don't see, you know, what the taxes they're paying affect their lives directly. They don't see the return. They, there's no incentive. They're like, you know, why should I, why should I bother sort of thing? But like, I think when you bring in something where people see an immediate return, um, okay, you, you've paid open banking, for example, here's your tax dollar. Here's where the buckets it's going. You can see it on chain. This is what's happening. Okay. Well, if you're seeing, you know, a hundred thousand dollars go towards um, your street cleaning on chain, you can verify it. Okay, well, the next vote you will actually appear and say, "Okay, I don't want to do this sort of thing." So, I think there's going to be like a hybrid model that's going to um, going to evolve, and I think people will, when they see access and see the direct result of what they're doing, I think that'll that'll incentivize them more to kind of partake sort of thing. Yeah, I think we'll see a hybrid model, and, and we were—I was on a call, I think, the other day, and we were talking what is analogous to that in the tradfi, a traditional world right and and debentures came up a lot in the conversation right so the model of a debenture and how a community gets together be it an investment group and and and, and you can trade that debenture except the debenture is represented in the form of tokens um, yeah, versus yeah. A, a piece of paper right yeah and yeah, then yeah. The no, 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 exactly. yeah exactly yeah 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 hey danish thank you man super good always always exciting um super insights great yeah. knowledge um how can people follow you and, and and should they follow you on twitter what's your twitter handle um and obviously go to fmfw.io um. <laughs> yeah no for sure uh, thanks for having me it's like it was it's refreshing to speak to you after such a long time i think we should do this more often 
Um, yeah. And thanks for having me over. It's definitely like insightful conversation. It's different from the other regular podcasts that people are like, oh, well, let's talk about like, you know, something that only matters to them sort of thing. So this is like super exciting that this actually kind of covers everything. Um, yeah, no, I'd love for people to follow me. I'm at DJ Chaudhary on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, sign up to FMFW and follow at FMFW.io on Twitter. And be, uh, there's a lot more news and a lot more exciting updates to come from the exchange soon. So hopefully everybody tunes in. No, thank you. Thank you, Danish. And um, yeah, super exciting. Thanks, dude. Bye. Take the chat. Later. This was Stefan Roost and Danish Chowdhury. You can follow Danish on Twitter at DJ Chowdhury. That's D-J-C-H-A-U-D-H-R-Y underscore. And free the money, free the world at FMFW underscore I-O. You can also follow Stefan on Twitter at srust99, that's S-R-U-S-T-9. And you can find the Super Excited with Stefan Roost podcast on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube on the Stefan Roost channel. Thank you for listening. Thank you.